It's like the little things in life that I've learned to really, really appreciate. For example, the perforations on toilet paper, when you pull it and it actually comes off as a clean square, gives me more joy than nearly anything I experienced in the past eight months. Because for some reason, and I don't know why, every goddamn roll we get, it's like the paper ignores the perforation. And you're just pulling it and half of like the next three sheets comes with it. There's no clean line. I need a clean line with my TP. I, it's just, it, I can't be the only one. It's back to the dark ages, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I would like Pine cones and if I may, sandpaper. to take you on a strange <laughs> journey. Please no. <laughs> Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell, and today I'm being joined by Warlock Milton C. Kruver. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Adam. It's great to be here. I'm here to drink wine and hail Satan, so... <laughs> let the games is. begin. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, it is October 18th, and as of today, we have 40 million... 40,147 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 1,115,744 deaths, and we've got a great show for you this week. That's right. And the devil's advocate, we're going to be talking about the human experience. Now, I know tangentially I've talked about this in a lot of different ways. We're going to hit home with some points here that I think are going to be relevant, yes, even to Satanists. In Infernal Informant, we're going to talk about the Women's March. Now, this is worldwide, not just in Austin. The article is specific to Austin. Crowds gather in protest the Supreme Court nominee. And Halloween is going to look very different during the pandemic. Or is it? We'll find out in a second. In the Creature Feature, we're going to be talking about David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet, a new documentary that he just released, which blew me away. I was weeping openly, and I am not ashamed at all about it because it was a beautiful film. So we're going to talk about that, too. But before we do, how have you been, man? I have been out of the limelight for a while. After yeah. I stopped um, my podcast, kind of took a step back, um, haven't been on you know social media as much. I know you can appreciate that. Good for you, man. Working on my career, working on family, um, you know, building more interpersonal relationships uh, here in in, <laughs> in person, so to speak, especially with COVID. But um, yeah. Behind I've been mask, able to kind of <laughs> right. In person. Yeah. Um, but no, just doing really great. It's been nice to take a step back and not, you know, get ca so caught up in the rigmarole, you know, yeah. not watching the news so much, not getting, you know, to kind of tie down and drawn into a lot of the, the pity. Yeah. That's petty, what I got to work on. Yeah. It's, it's been really, really hard for me to, to step back, especially in an election year, which is kind of my Super Bowl in my head. And, uh, not ever really being happy in political seasons, you know, you're, you're always frustrated and you're always mm -hmm. sort of disappointed and you're always regretful that the person or people you were hoping would get in never actually got a chance. Right. Um, and so 
I've been dealing with a lot mm. of that and I just can't seem to cut that. It was easy for me to cut the cord with social media. It's hard for me to cut the cord with news. And mm. I don't know why. Like I'm obsessed with like the first web page that comes up when I open my computer up is Google News. So I get feeds from all over the world telling like me all of the insanity at once. And I'm just like yeah. fucking caught, you know, like a fly on shit. I don't know where to go first. Do, but do you think do you think a large part of that is probably because you are a very introspective and um, curious per person who you know you're not just going to go on Fox News and be like oh well Fox News said this and this is right you're going to go find out the entire perspective you're going to go look at the other side's perspective you're going to actually it leads you down that rabbit hole mm -hmm. and that's exhausting in a lot of cases it's like getting to know somebody or yeah. trying to figure someone out right yeah. there's so much to do do you think that's probably a part of it yeah I think that has to be a part of it. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, you can only be burned so many times by listening to one source and then realizing how lied to you actually were or, yeah. or how you just really didn't see the motivations behind what they were actually saying. Not that they were in, – in, in all cases, I don't think people are nefarious. You know, they're just – they're doing what they're told to, you know, as, you know conspiratorially speaking at, by their corporate overlords. You know, I mean that's, yeah. that's what – that's how we work, you know. So it's true. It's frustrating when you're trying to sift through – the sort of half truths but um yeah i think it's just i don't know trying to find some semblance of reality nowadays is seemingly impossible like i don't i don't know what reality is anymore when when uh, our presidents first started claiming everything was fake news um you know the sort of tongue-in-cheek side of me is like oh yeah well you know most news is you know serving some sort of uh, Slanted, you know yeah. word but now everything's fake so nothing's real and how do you navigate truth and when when nothing is real and the objective reality behind that is that th there is truth and you just have to dig for it and that's what's exhausting and that's what's frustrating especially as someone who would like to hope that it's out there <laughs> i have hope no but right yeah that, I, th I think that's a large part of it is even the truth of today is not necessarily what you're going to be presented with tomorrow or what will be able yeah. to be enacted upon tomorrow. So, you know, I look, I, I'm, I don't identify with any particular political party. I look at the, the items, the agenda, you know, I look at specific um, topics and I go, you know, what do they think? What do they believe? What are they looking to, you know, produce in the future uh, by way of legislation and such mm -hmm. with the, with the, with the critical mind that what they say, to, like, so you can go on Trump's, campaign site you can go on biden's campaign site or any campaign site and you can figure out you know they they, they detail they detail it out very clearly here's my agenda here's what i'm looking to do well you can do that you know for any previous president in the past and find out oh they weren't able to do certain things so how much of it is bullshit mm -hmm. how much of it is tongue-in-cheek a lot of it of course they want to get elected right that's their main goal is to get elected yep. so i don't know it's it's a it's a lot of energy spent on something that we can't ultimately control. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. Um, another thing that we have absolutely no control over that I, I remind everyone every week about is COVID nineteen, and we are seeing massive spikes yet again. So uh, the United States has now seen its highest number of new COVID nineteen cases since July, uh, with more than sixty nine thousand new cases reported nationwide on Friday this past Friday a couple days ago. Um, so please, people, uh, if you want to avoid catching this virus if anyone can ever truly avoid it uh maybe prolong <laughs> your contraction of it uh act accordingly wear masks don't be stupid
Um, all right. Well, should we just dive into the devil's advocate? What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do this thing. sensor like, yeah right i'm like we would never bow you take turns in the middle oops wrong screen uh okay so we're, i wanted to talk about the human experience so i've been watching a series called long way up uh and it's basically a motor a motorcycle documentary from the very uh tale of south america all the way up to los angeles and they've passed all the way through argentina and chile and stuff right now and what it's doing is shining um a little bit of light on UNICEF and their work uh, in South America, but also just on native peoples. And what I'm always struck by, whether it's me traveling to Germany or anywhere in the United States, or whether it's watching uh, documentaries and watching humans and their behaviors and what most people would do in any given situation, is it makes me realize how similar literally we are, all are. You can strip away culture, religion, gender, all of it. And at its core, the vast majority of people are very similar in how they would react to any given situation. Um, and you can chalk that up to genetics as human species, but I, I'm always fascinated with the human animal. And so I wanted to kind of have a bit of a conversation about that because how does a Satanist navigate individuality? You and I have talked about individuality in a family unit. How does the individual navigate um, uh, as a Satanist when the reality behind the human experience is that we all are pretty much trapped on the same ball flying through space? Uh, and so, you know, the degrees of variation are very slim between us. So how are we the highest embodiment of, of human life? How are we um, our own gods? How are we the alien elite, as it were? Um, and so I wanted to cover a few notes here. This is uh, notes that I pulled off of BBC Earth's blog about a show that they're going to be doing called What Does It Mean to Be Human? But it had a couple bullet points that I thought were interesting as a sort of starting point for this conversation. So if you'll indulge me a little bit as I, I run through this really quickly. Um, we are one species of primate that emerged from the dry savannas of East Africa just over 100,000 years ago and began a migration that continues till today. We weren't the strongest animal, but we had an unusually large brain and held ourselves upright, giving us high advantage to scan for the distant horizon for enemies and the freedom to use our hands for other purposes, like making tools and weapons, etc. We might have continued our short life of hunting, savagery, and brutishness right through till today, and we have, I think, arguably, but for one important development, language. Other humans could communicate, but we evolved astonishingly vocal ability, able to communicate sounds that represented not just objects, but also concepts. We learned how to express ideas. We could speak of danger, hope, and love. We became storytellers, able to weave through common narratives about who we are and how we should live. About 12,000 years ago, we learned how to domesticate plants and other animals for food, and we were able to settle into one place. We became a social animal, building complex communities that became kingdoms, and learned to trade with each other using a concept called money. 
About 2,500 years ago, a small group of humans in South Europe and the Middle East started to ask big questions about who we were. What's the best way to live? What's a good life? What does it mean to be human? How we respond to these questions is how we built our civilization, art, and philosophy. About 500 years ago, the scientific revolution began, allowing us to harness the resources of our planet to live longer and have more productive lives. And when the digital revolution began only about 50 years ago, so think about that. From thousands of years ago up until only about 50 years ago, we lived without technology. Now, as soon as we get it, the world completely shrank. We became a global uh, village. Our hopes and dreams converted into an infinite stream of ones and zeros echoing through cyberspace. Today, we stand, ast stand astride the world as a god with both the power to destroy our own planet and to create life. We may even be the last of our species to fully uh, understand what it means to be a human as biotechnology and artificial intelligence begins to rip apart the very core of who we are. And as we discover more about reality, we continue our ascent into insignificance, becoming a vanishing footnote in space and time, a speck of dust in the vastness of our universe. But to be human is to be at the center of our own universe, to experience life in all its colors and in all its potential. So with that conceptual frame for what it means to be human, uh, on, on the literal side of it, what do you think uh, differentiates Satanists from the rest of humanity when we would not exist if it were not for the work of our ancestors? That's a lot to unpack, Adam. <laughs> Damn. And go. I got a refill here. Hold on. <laughs> this, this, requires, this is a refill kind of question. Sweet shit. Well, I mean, at, at the metaphysical level, we're not any different. I mean, at, at, at the core foundation, you know, as you very plainly put it, you know, there's three main things that we as a species require, and most species require to some extent, as you know, we're talking about security, we're talking about sustenance, um, and I forget the other S, there's three S's. Um, but, uh, but in sex? <laughs> that's where I go. <laughs> that's part of sustenance, my friend. Okay. <laughs> that is part of sustenance. Um but no, you so you know you, we talk about, um, and I know you have this a little later. But you know we talk about uh, safety, security, um, connection. But I think meaning is a really important one as well. It's not an S. But I think from the satanic perspective, and we can kind of unpack it a little bit, um, you know, further back talking about communication. And I think communication is kind of the crux of it all. You know, language, talking about being able to describe our feelings and our emotions, right? So. Um, if you and I were a Neanderthal, so to speak, and, you know, I really admired you, you were strong, you were big, I, you know, I'd be like, thunk, strong, er, right? And you might get something out of that, and you'd be like, oh, okay, cool, well, you know, I'm higher on the pecking order than he is, he's going to help me do what I want, that's kind of the extent of it. But if I'm able to, you know, be eloquent and say, hey, Adam, you're a, you're a wonderful family man, you, you know, you raised your children right, I really respect that, you're a career professional, you also have these extracurricular activities, you know, you've always been kind of a... Um, you know, somebody that I put on a pedestal and I've admired for some years, that means a lot more to you. And I was able to just articulate that through three glasses of wine than just, you know, thunk, thunk, great, <laughs> go you, yeah, yeah. go kill pig, feed me, right? Mm. Um, 
that's power, and we recognize that as lesser magic in a lot of ways. So the ability to communicate and articulate is incredibly potent, and then that gives evolution to poetry, to music. I mean, this weekend I've gone on a, on a bit of an exploratory with you know finding new music and things that call to me, and you know I was thinking about the the content that you wanted to kind of provide uh, in in your podcast, and you know you look at it and you say. The ability to define how you're feeling and not just how you're feeling, but how other people relate to their situations, that is incredibly powerful. So, you know, music, mm -hmm. uh, being able to, you know, work, work through mathematics, you know, an additional way, you know, math is its own language, so to speak. Um, all of these things set us apart from from the from the animals from you know our animalistic tendencies and allows us in a lot of cases to rise above our primal instincts um you could you can look at it even from a um i'd say more of a a primal aspect an internal aspect where you how do you feel naturally when you're not able to articulate we're not able to speak right, right. you feel you feel angry right you want to lash out you know you can't you just can't get the words out you want to you know my five-year-old son is a great example. He gets very err when he can't speak <laughs> what he's thinking, right? Yep. That is a very primal instinct. That is a very base instinct. It's not wrong. But as he learns his words, as he learns to communicate, some of that falls to the wayside, and he's able to express his feelings and his urges, and he can move past them to learn and to grow. Mm -hmm. That in a microcosm is the evolution of our species, right? Yeah. And language is part of that. Uh, yeah, I think what's so great about humanity is is our malleability, right? So if, for example, um, we suffer from some disorder, uh, biological disorder that prevents us from being able to speak, we have other ways of communicating that would then still concisely convey what we're experiencing. And and this this is what's so frustrating to me as a Satanist. Um, and I never, it, it never bothered me before, and I don't know why it, it, it does now. Um, I do find that my opinions and my, my, there's, there's an internal evolution in my mind that is ever going. And it was just kind of where I am right now is, is a much more broad understanding of, of our species or a broader acceptance than I had in the past. But what's frustrating as a Satanist to me is when you have this, um, and I don't know if it's honest or if it's just expected, and so people say it. But this disgust for the herd mm -hmm. and how anyone who's not a Satanist is less than. And then I look at these people who are saying it. And then I look at the small fractions of Satanists that I interact with or that I see and their behavior and their works. And I can't help but feel pity. Oh, for them that here they actually think that they are the highest embodiment of human life. So how can how can we look down on other people when we are not holding ourselves to a higher standard? And then more importantly than that, how can we ever see ourselves as separate from that which allows us to have the opinion that we're separate? You know, um, the backs of every other species, I'm sorry, of every other part of our species has created this environment in which we can thrive. And then we're going to just shit on them? I don't know. And I don't have this universal love for anyone, but I certainly don't have a universal detest for them either. 
But you recognize the fact that there are people in your life, in your personal life, Adam, that believe in God, believe in even political spheres of influence that you don't necessarily agree with, or even in some cases, I would say, maybe at a minor level, don't align with your vision for the future. And they, to you, Mm. are more worthwhile and valuable as an individual to not only you, not to not only you, but to your community and your immediate relations than some people who are Satanists. Yeah. Right? Yep. I know yep. I know people that are, you know, die hard believers. And in some cases, I like them more than self about other self avowed Satanists. Mm. Yeah. That is a very that is a very different perspective than I think, unfortunately. Some people have where they think, oh, you know, the Satanists are the alien elite and they're, you know, we're all supposed to be great. And I think that's that's very solipsistic in that, that viewpoint, right? It's it's meant more of a, as a personal emboldenment of who you are and to further yourself, mm-hmm. not to just think that, oh, well, this, this resonates with me. I identify as this, so I'm better than everybody. No, as we say, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. And just as with any, you know, wolf pack, just as with any... Um, tribe-oriented species, there is a herd within that that pack, within that tribe. And the same holds true for Satanists. There yeah. was a very high higher echelon, and she will remain unnamed, individual um, who told me towards the very you know, beginning of my identification that there is a herd within Satanism, and they are the people who like to follow, who, you know, it's it's it is definitely natural to find people that you gravitate towards, that you admire. I recognize myself as one of those many years ago when I first reached out to you, when I first reached out to Blanche, Barton, and other people. But you grow out of that. We, you know, identify that as first face Satanism, and then you grow up in, in a way, right? You evolve, you continue to grow, and then you can have more meaningful, personable conversations where you're, you, you know, you've grown out of that herd mentality, um, but you have to, you have to prove it, yeah. right? There's 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 a proof in that pudding, and you have to be it. It does. It's not enough to say I am a Satanist. I read the Satanic Bible, and this feels good to me. Well, put your feelings to action. Show us what your feelings are worth. If you can, if you can make make something of yourself, if you can say, you know, genuinely, I am a happy person, and I am doing what I want to with my life. Good for you. Yeah. And that's. I will forever respect someone who is um, struggling in order to simply be able to put food on the table and and if they choose to cultivate a family to then cultivate a family and, and provide safety and and do what they can to provide shelter for them. You know, going back to what spurred this conversation on uh, in my mind, looking at third world nations, um, I. I genuinely respect them infinitely more than anyone on TikTok or anyone, you know, uh, sharing social media memes, uh, you know, whatever that fucking means. Like, because they're they're in the moment. They're living life. They're not what what people tend to at least, and maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know, but it, you know, the internet was originally created to communicate education and thoughts and then it turned into porn and video games and you know sort of social media um ultimately we as a species have 
evolved away from using the internet for information and instead are using it just to share ridiculous things to get really upset over or to shame other people with or to uh try to bloviate our our natural you know bodies or or whatever in order to attract you know new followers whatever that means um we've stopped being human we've stopped even pretending to live in a moment on a planet instead we're now only solely existing in ones and zeros floating through the sky so and i forget god i wish i had him on speed dial i'd call um magister bill but there's a um there's a comedy skit i'm terrible i can't remember his name but there's a, there's a comedy skit where there's a, a comedian and he says it very eloquently and i'm paraphrasing of course but basically it's human beings are the only species on the planet who have manufactured reasons to hate and kill each other yeah yeah. No other species does that. You know, if a, if, a, if a lion kills a lion cub, there's a reason for it. It's fucked up, it's infanticide, but mm-hmm. there's a reason for it. If, you know, bonobos go attack another tribe and they eat each other, kill and each, eat each other alive, there's a reason for it, right? Yeah. Human beings, you know, we, we come up with these reasons. You know, you know, we were talking earlier about young young ladies, about young women, you know, growing up in the in the era of social media and how fucking abhorrent it is and how terrible it is and how terrifying as a father you know it, it is um that kind of situation if if we, if we want to get down to brass tacks we're the only species that comes up with weird ass reasons to hate and kill each other yeah so yeah or or defend and on the converse, yeah. this reliance on systems that allow our children to kill themselves <laughs> like yeah. we're, we're constantly creating tools and putting them in children's hands so that they can destruct self-destruct like that is literally what we're doing and and everyone seems to be okay with it culturally speaking and we're trying to spread it around the world because we think if everyone every other culture doesn't have it then you know they're not a, a valuable culture and so we're spreading this virus and it's infected nearly the entire globe and not in a positive way. And that's what, what, what sort of bothers me because, again, looking at families who, you know, when these two uh, motorcycles come driving through town and they run out of power and they're immediately invited into someone's home, they're given their meager means of food and water and drink and, and company and shelter and... I honestly think that virtually every human, again, you know, there's always exceptions. Virtually every human would do the same thing. If someone is in dire need, then you as a human being are going to look at another human being and say, you know what? Come on, let me help you out. Um, most people. I don't think, and the thing is, is in those moments, we shake loose all these pretenses, all mm-hmm. these pretexts all these reasons to hate each other that we've made up and we just say okay survival let's make sure that that we can make our species survive through this moment whatever that moment is i have experienced this through other Mm -hmm. cultures that i couldn't even speak to because i didn't know the language um and so i know it's a thing and i would hate to think that 
I would hate to think that the religion that I cherish so desperately that I identify as a core part of who and what I am fosters this idea that simply because they are not Satanists, that there are Satanists out there who would then shun them, you know? And so then uh, engaging... I think that's true. I think you're absolutely right. There are people out there who identify as Satanists who are very antithetical against anybody, and they kind of, you know, oh, well, that person's not really a Satanist, right? Or, right. oh, well, you know, they believe something different. Or, I mean, I know you, you know, on Facebook, and I read it occasionally, but, you know, the holidays are coming up, and this is a prime season for those social media excerpts to be like, oh, well, you know, I've got a problem. Mm -hmm. and I've got to go over to Uncle Larry's house, and everybody goes over to Uncle Larry's house, and they say a prayer at Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm a Satanist, and that's going to offend me. And, you know, quite a few people will jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, well, you know, you should put your foot down. And it's like, go over to Uncle Larry's house and share some fucking turkey and, and mashed potatoes with your family. I mean, unless mm -hmm. they attack you and, you know, they treat you like shit, go there and be a part of, of your tribe, of your community, of your family, and if you have to bow your head and just be like, man, I really love Aunt Sally's gravy. I really, I mean, whatever the fuck you got to do. How does that affect you? Yeah. Except ostracize you from a family, which could be your, I mean, our families are our support line. And when you lose a part of that, it is very, very, um, it's very difficult. It can be very difficult. So, again, very solipsistic in my mind. Yeah. To, you know, push that away just because, oh, well, you know, Uncle Larry, he's a pastor. So what? I want to make he's sure that there. everyone understands that, and I, I don't want to speak for you. I don't think what we're saying is bend over backwards and put yourself out there in order to fit in. That is not no. what we're saying. We're no. simply saying be pragmatic about situations. If you want to be a part of the family, so much so that you're going to complain when they shun you. How about you just tamp down the Satanism, tuck that Baphomet for a little while. Sure. That's it. And that, that in and of itself is very Satanic. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Preservation. I mean... That's all it really comes down to. Because ultimately they, there may come a time when you need to reach out to someone else. And this mm -hmm. happens in life. Yep. I've been there. I hate it. I don't like the feeling of it. But sometimes you have to reach out for help. And it's yeah. nice that that hand, when you're reaching it, doesn't get slapped away because you were a prick. Mm -hmm. You're self-righteous in your Satanism. Cause. Yeah. In your Fuck individuality. That. You know, whatever it is. Again, that's if you want that. If you don't, well, then fuck them. Move on. Well, then you've <laughs> already answered your question and yeah. you don't have to post about it. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Do not complain yeah. about that which you need not subject yourself to. That drives me nuts. But that's what social media is about. Complaining about shit you don't need to subject yourself to. Keyboard warriors, baby. <laughs> Fighting um, the good fight. And so, yeah, ultimately, you know, I, I keep trying to reinforce this because I don't want to get this idea out there about this brotherly love and nonsense because I don't believe in that. But I do believe in the idea of only burn a bridge when it's absolutely fucking required. You know, there's a reason why destruction rituals are prefaced by the doctor that they are crying out to be destroyed. Like, don't just willy-nilly destroy someone because they messed up your order for coffee. Well, well, and the yeah, and the entire chapter on the choice of human sacrifice strictly speaks to that. Yeah. Specifically calls for you to do a very, you know, deep dive analysis in a way of what you're looking to let go of your life. Is this somebody that you can do without? Yeah. That, that, yeah, I did. 
I did a whole sh- a show segment based around the idea of, of, of evolution, not the idea, but the reality of evolution um, and how we are literally connected to mushrooms and trees and grass at the fucking cool? genetic level. Yeah, I think it's so fucking cool. amazing. And so yeah. this idea of connection within our own species seems to be the most fraught with uh, corruption and not because it's earned not because it's justified but because someone told you you should dislike someone and so you do and mm-hmm. that's not being real not just to you as an individual but to you as a member of a species like mm-hmm. hate whoever you want to hate but do it for a good fucking reason Absolutely. don't do it just because someone says you should mm-hmm. and that's ultimately really what I, I want this segment to sort of come out on the other side trying to communicate that we don't need to overextend ourselves or uh you know claim to love and care for every other of the species because that's not realistic but what is realistic is that you are going to find yourself at some point in your life in need Mm -hmm. and there are others of your species that without knowing anything about you will give you what you need to survive So maybe before you go burning those bridges, think twice (laughs) before you show your ass because you're not fucking better. You're not the highest embodiment of human life. If you are going to just cast dispersions willy nilly about every, uh, you know, all around you Mm -hmm. for no fucking reason. Yeah. See, I I was thinking about this earlier and you, you raise a very clear and concise point in that, as a species, we as humans, you know, we can look at it and, you know, that's why we have the United Nations and we have international relationships and we, we can look at it um, and say, hey, you know, what are those what are those crazy Germans doing or what are the French doing? Right. These communities, these countries, these people with different cultures and, you know, similar but different ideals and and things, you know, hey, maybe we should help them out. Hey, maybe they could help us out. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a perspective that I think humanity has evolved and grown into. Whereas, you know, animals, they don't have that level of, and again, the crux of it is communication and technology, but, you know, the the tribe of bison that were over in California weren't thinking about what the fuck the bison over in Oklahoma were doing, right? Oh, well, you know, maybe we should wor- work around the crop circle. Those are California should, bison. <laughs> right? Oh, we're going to eat this grass this day and then move down to the south in Baja and then they're going to come over on North Dakota and then we're going to circle. I mean, they weren't thinking about that shit. We do, right? It's that yeah. it's that perspective and people are no different. Um, and there is something very satanic about that realization and about that perspective, not shooting yourself in the foot, not showing your ass, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I know it's, it's not as nice and simple and concise as saying that we're the alien elite so everyone else can fuck off. I understand that. <laughs> Everybody wants to be big, but you know what? (laughs) Chances are you probably aren't. Well, and then here's the other side of that is that you, you can actually be big, you know, however you want to define that, what that means. All you have to do is, is work at it, swallow that ego a little bit, just tamp it down because again, you're 
real world successes are going to, in a healthy way, inflate that ego and give you confidence to move forward and create even more successes in life. That's the good way of doing it. That's the healthy way of doing it. That's the satanic way of doing it. What's not is jumping on the back of someone who's shitting on other people and saying, yeah, because he doesn't like you. I don't like you. And that makes me better. That's exactly. hollow and, that, and that's that that's that herd within the elite, yeah. right? Yeah. You have the people that are proving it and the people who are just, you know, pandering. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to a little infernal informant. Thank you guys. I'm going to step down from my stove box. so burned the next morning <laughs> um i, I want to preface this conversation we're about to have um by saying we are dangerously close to mansplaining women's rights um so glad i'm not in the public sphere anymore this is a one-off show thank you adam for inviting me um <laughs> i work um, and go to the gym that's about it so. yeah I want to talk about this. Uh, this article comes from KXAN.com, which is a local Austin news uh, station. Women's March in Austin draws crowds of protest of Supreme Court nominee. There was one of these in Salt Lake City, and I'm sure in every town, every big town uh, everywhere, every big city anyway. So outside the Texas state capitol Saturday, cultural battles and heightened emotions played out weeks before the presidential election. Quote, I supported this movement for the last four years. A lot of people feel that they aren't being heard and they feel marginalized, said Women's March supporter Rosemary Cavazos. Nearly four years after an election brought in protesters nationwide, Women's March leaders hope their second event of the year brings in a final show before November 3rd. Women's March supporters gathered outside the Woolridge Square Park with a packed agenda Saturday. Supporters come bearing conversations about everything from Black Lives Matter movement to abortion rights to COVID-19. Quote, we should be talking about assisting with COVID resources, not rushing a court hearing, says Cavazos. Rushing Amy into the court system is really troublesome for me. Honoring the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg rose to the top. The march took place days before the Senate has plans to hold its final vote to confirm Amy Coney Barrett, who would replace Ginsburg. In Austin, Saturday, women's march supporters were also confronted by a counter-protest group who say they don't fully agree with all of Ginsburg's positions. They believe she represented the Constitution well and feel Barrett will do the same. The Senate Judiciary Committee is scheduled to vote Thursday on the nomination, uh, nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, who would cement the conservative advantage on the Supreme Court. There's a couple reasons why I wanted to talk about this, but I want to frame that conversation first by talking about what the Women's March is actually about. And they do have firm principles that they're trying to politically convey through their protests. So if you go to their website, womensmarch.com, under missions and principles, uh, they want to end uh, violence to women. They want to protect reproductive rights. They want to uh, protect LGBTQIA rights, workers' rights, women workers' rights, women's civil rights, disability rights, immigration rights, environmental justice. So it is not just pussy hats, which are cool, but that's not just it. 
Uh, it's more than that. And so when you have a woman's march and then a counter protest comes in and says, we agree with uh, some of Ginsburg's mm -hmm. ideas, which were equality for men as well as women, not just women. Universal she actually equality. represented men in women's mm -hmm. rights cases. Um, and they say, well, we don't agree with all of her ideas. What exactly don't you agree with the idea that everyone in a given society should have equal opportunity under the law and equal protection under the law? Like what, how do you not agree with part of that? What does that mean? And so that, that frustrates me. And then defending Amy Coney Barrett, which the entire premise of her being nominated flies in the face of, of uh, uh, what the Republicans did during the last administration. So it's pure hypocrisy. It's pure power grab. At least they're honest about it when they're confronted that it is a hypocritical power grab. But this woman does not support women. This is what I don't understand. How you could be a woman, and I know it's because of religion, um, how you could be a woman and actually don't think women should have rights over their own body. How you could be a woman and don't think that women should make equal pay and uh, should, should uh, protect their rights in a society. That doesn't square in my mind. And, and I'm not going to, of course, ask you to defend that idea. Um, but what do you think about this idea um, of because it's become a contentious talking point for Republicans that the only reason why people are you know sort of fighting back against Amy Coney Barrett is because of her religion. Is that valid? What do you think? I think that for some people it's incredibly valid just because you know you look at the atheistic movement, you look at people who don't identify as religious, and it's a it's a keen attack point to say hey you know this person believes in such and such but you know the fact of the matter is that there are a very large you know there's a very large proponent of politicians and people in you know the different cabinets and in places that they they are believers so to speak right mm -hmm. and some of them still do exemplify the ideals of you know people who identify as atheists or even satanists or or people not of a christian faith um so I, I think it's a bit of a red herring but i think it's a very very easy um point of attack to say hey because of her beliefs she feels this way i know plenty of religious people that are like hey yeah i'm pro-choice absolutely pro-education pro-choice you know your body all of these things so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a misnomer i think but again, with the news, with, you know, you know, the whole smash and grab and flashing lights, that's what will get whatever will get the people engaged and involved and, you know, feeling something because that's all that's all the hook you need. Right. Mm -hmm. Once you can make somebody feel something, whether it's, you know, I feel anger or I feel sadness, you've hooked them. And mm -hmm. then you just have to kind of twist that and align it. Right. It's key lesser magic. And that's what, you know, the whole political political sphere is all about. Um, yeah. I didn't know the, the policies of Ruth Bader Ginsburg very well, as I don't know Amy's very well. Um, I don't know that even the people who were for or against either of those individuals particularly know them very well. Maybe with, you know, Ruth, since she was in the cabinet for so, for so long, she was in the position for so long, um, it, it's easier to kind of nail down who she was and what she was about. But, but by and large, it's, it's the same political sphere to me. Um, 
I, and I don't know where I wouldn't even know where to go to begin to understand what the differences are and what people are truly railing about. Because I certainly am not going to go to the people who are saying, fuck that bitch. She's crazy. She believes in Jesus. She wants to take my, take away my right to have an abortion. And on the flip side of that, I certainly wouldn't trust the people who are going, oh, no, no, she's, it, it's all fine. It's okay. Everything's going to be great. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Yeah. I mean, do you feel yeah. differently? No, I, I think you are right. And that's why I always go to the, the horse's mouth, as it were, mm-hmm. right? You go to um, what she has said. Um, yeah. Before I go back to that, I want to reply to uh, a comment made um, in the chat room. It was, uh, oh, damn it. Where is it? I'm sorry, it was right here. Oh, believe it or not, being a woman doesn't require you to support liberal ideology, Sean says. Um, when did it become a, li- a liberal idea to have equal protection and opportunity under the law? That's a constitutional idea. That, yeah. That's in the Constitution. Why, why is that liberal? And why are Republicans claiming that it's liberal when they're also on the other side claiming to support and defend the constitution of the United States. Like, I don't understand that. So if you can articulate that to me, Sean, then, then I'll try to explain why women should or should not be any political party. And see, this is where we get into a very dangerous conversation where I will always, and this is why I don't have these conversations with anybody. um, I will always ask you to quantify and provide examples of who's saying this. Right. And where they're getting it from. So when we say that, you know, um, women's rights, women, you know, e- equality of, of just Americans, for example, this is now a liberal idea. I would I would say, well, who's saying this? Who, who on the Republican or conservative side is saying that, you know, black people are bad or women need to stay in the fucking kitchen and, and bake pies and have babies? Who's saying this? Because those motherfuckers need to be out of business. That shit's wrong and stupid and has been proven um, through different scientific expenditures of education and equality um, that that is harmful to us as a community and a species and a global, you know, economic matrix. Mm -hmm. Those things are are just bad overall. So if you can point to the people who are saying this, I'm sure there's a very large proponent who would jump on that bandwagon of, yeah, yeah, that guy, fuck that guy. He's cray cray, right? Right. But yeah. you have to quantify that. It, it, it's very loose and generic, con, you know, um, proponent to say, well, those people over there think this shit. Okay, well, who said that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, going back to you know, right from the horse's mouth, um, and and maybe maybe I should quantify what my my underlying idea here is. I don't think there should be a liberal Supreme Court, and I don't think there should be a conservative Supreme Court. I think the Supreme Court needs to be diverse. I think it's important to be diverse because then it speaks to the people that they're supposed to be um, defining laws for. Um, The Supreme Court has increased in number over the years, not recently, but it has uh, been changed um, over the course of its history. Uh, And so the idea of having a a strict conservative control over the Supreme Court, I think, is inherently dangerous in the same way as having a strict liberal control. Now, having one over in either case, I think, is healthy. Um, but having two or three over in either side, 
of the political spectrum is dangerous because mm -hmm. then what you're doing is fundamentally changing the Constitution into a political area. The Constitution is not supposed to be political. It's supposed to be Clear -cut a, a set of laws Absolutely. defining the protections of people. Regardless of perspective or yeah. idea or background or culture or anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's really frustrating from for me watching um, what was a already conservative leaning court uh, with the mm -hmm. last nomination into mm -hmm. now doubling down on that and, and how it's going to affect generations of people mm -hmm. with one political viewpoint. And that is True. dangerous. And so, you know, when you did have a 5-4 court in either direction, well, then you had real perspective because sometimes you had um, a democratic uh, judge leaning a little more right and you had a, a conservative judge leaning a little more left from time to time which would upset the news and you know people would freak out in their team sides and stuff but that meant the system was working sure. when you no longer have that opportunity yeah. then it's fundamentally broken um, mm -hmm. and so that's where i come into it. and and when i when i'm always you know again it's it's going to come off as mansplaining to women when i come in to a position where women are actively working against their own self-interest I was raised by women that were very headstrong and they set me down this path that women don't need men to help. Women are quite capable of doing what they need to do by themselves if men will just get the fuck out of the way. And so when I see women pulling men in front of their way and these this patriarchy of ideas shutting down their voice, it baffles me. And I've never really fully understood it and to understand that this woman is indoctrinated into a Catholic cult that is a, an organization that rapes children and then protects the rapists. It's an organization that has stifled education and intelligence all over the world from its founding. We can't pretend that this is a peace-loving, uh, humanity-based religion when every action is to the contrary and when you are raised in a cult and you are indoctrinated to believe that cult's beliefs that you are lesser because you have a vagina and so you become a judge and start sharing those ideas then yeah i'm gonna have a fucking problem with that because i know a lot of women in my life that i love and that don't need my protection but I'll stand with them when they fucking stand up and throw their fists in the air because they have that fucking right to do so. They shouldn't be stifled. They should be encouraged. Uh, we were talking earlier on, and, and you touched on it briefly uh, with the last conversation that we were having about women in our society. Um, but the facts bear out. Educated women have fewer children. They lead more enriched lives. And that lifts up the civilization that they're a part of. In every Absolutely. case. And well, so I just don't understand I, it. I, I think another I think a very large aspect of that is that any any society and I'll, I'll have to quantify this and unpack it a bit, but any any society should look to capitalize upon every aspect of its populace, right? Right. So everybody, you know, within the population from different cultures, from, you know, different, um, different backgrounds, sexes, genders, you know, what have you, every, 
every specific demographic has something to bring to bear and to not promote the utilization of those skills, of those ideas, of that imagination, of that ability to communicate, of those life experiences, all these things inherently detracts from our progress, right? So I, I don't care what gender you are, how you identify, what your race is, where your culture is, as long as you are given the voice and the ability to, you know, propel yourself through your own merits yeah. into, you know, the corporate sphere, into a career, into a business, into, you know, assisting with, you know, whatever other, you know, organizations um, are out there that you wish to promote. That, I think, is the power of, of humanity, and that is the power of diversity. It's equality of opportunity versus the equality of outcome, because then, of course, if you're just right. giving things for free, it doesn't actually mean anything, and there's no value to it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's a large proponent that, unfortunately, the Abrahamic um, religions get wrong. And, and, I, and we can always look back in the past and see why they were that way. But, you know, moving beyond it, you know, you look at, you know, like you said, the Catholic religion, um, it's it's abhorrent to us individually to go, oh, my goodness, you know, they've had these scandals for years and atrocities have happened. How can anybody choose to identify as this? But that's where you have to, again, uncomfortably remove the individual from from the whole, from the group. Right. 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 So it's like saying, you know, you know, horrible things have happened in the name of Christianity and such. But then again, well, me as an individual, I have people who identify as Christians and go to church that I love dearly. Yep. How, how do how do I reconcile that? Right. So it's it's looking at it and saying, well, is Amy that kind of you know Amy Amy Coney Barrett? Coney is she that type of Catholic where we need we you know she's diehard and she is looking out for just her religion and she's very conservative and she's not modeling um you know the the perspective that you know has brought us to where we are as a society mm. you know with education with choice right oh shit did you just freeze up oh you're back i'm back okay good. awesome yeah it just froze up for just a second <laughs> okay good uh yeah i mean it it's disturbing to me personally when I hear that she was siding with um, Justice Scalia about dissenting to Roe v. Wade about um, uh, the desire to shut down the Affordable Care Act because I don't think it's good for everyone, but it is good for some people. And it's a first step towards something that I think is inherent in any first world nation, and that's universal health care. Um, not that it should be a right, but it should be something that the government would want to do because then it has more productive citizens. Um, it's just, you know, a selfish thing in my part, which is satanic. Um, so, you know, wherever you stand politically and whether or not you want her confirmed or whether you just don't give a fuck because you don't pay attention to it, that's fine too. Um, I certainly understand and support any of the women's marches, uh, on principle, I do not support the idea that simply because you're a woman, you have some sort of like innate good ideas or you are innately of value because that would be like saying because you're a man, you're innately of value when you have innate good ideas. And, this is not and, the case. <laughs> and see, that's that's one of the things I'd like to, you know, I, I think it was a quote that was provided. So 
uh, Kavazos said, we should be talking about assisting with COVID resources, which is obviously, you know, a separate issue, red fucking herring. Not rushing a court hearing, rushing Amy into the court system is really tr troublesome for me. If that's the case, then that should be equally true if he were to um, provide a nominee for that was liberal, that was democratic, right? It would be irrespective of who that person was versus who's in there who, who's you know amy right right it's it, it's it in this case it is all or nothing it is no you know what we should wait until we have a new president you know a new president they can you know identify the best candidate at that time with a new cabinet etc etc um obviously yes it totally is a power play would anybody fucking think otherwise of trump no you shouldn't of course right not, not at this yeah. point yeah. um you know better by now it, it, well you should you certainly should um, whether you like him or not, that's just his style and that's just his, his way to play. Yeah. But then again, I look at it and go, well, would a more democratic and liberal-leaning president do any different? To me personally, no. Obviously, they're going to try and make their choice that promotes their agenda and what they feel will, will best promote their platform. Well, the, the difference is we did have that situation and the president was Obama and he bowed down to republican will of waiting so no which is fine that's fine he he made he made the clear decision that okay you know what and i don't know his his purposes or reasons right but ultimately his decision was i think the right one for the nation for the country which is who he should be serving right it's public service yeah, that's the whole point um, <laughs> but exit right you you would think but <laughs> yeah it was it was interesting i mean Maybe we should um, go to a lighter topic now, as a, a sort of palate cleanser as we get closer Let's to our that. hour Let's here. Do that. <laughs> Let's talk about Halloween because, oh, you know what I haven't done? I haven't thrown up any of the images. Let me throw this one up because it's fun. I usually throw up like an image of the topic as a representation of the topic, but I've forgotten to do it. I've been having too much fun here, man. All right, Halloween. Look at that. Love that. Love How do you that not image. love little Halloween? Um, Halloween's going to look a little bit different here uh, during the pandemic. So, as this is from CNN.com, as families reconsider Halloween traditions, companies that usually rely on Halloween for sales have been shuffling to adapt. Uh, there have been a couple different changes, and, and I'm going to outline some of those, and then I want to sort of freeform just talk to you about how you're going to handle Halloween this year, and and see what what we think here. Um, as far as candy is concerned, to boost sales and keep customers interested, this season Halloween preparations include putting Halloween-specific packages on fewer treats, uh, focusing on family-sized packs, and extending the shopping season to try to help, uh, you know, spread that candy cheer. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they're basically candy putting cheer, together little nice. packets so that you can drop them off for you know different households rather than having kids come and like stick their hands in bowls of candy and stuff. Um, costumes, even though it may be unsafe to partake in traditional trick-or-treating, kids are still excited for Halloween. Parents don't want to disappoint them, especially after a tough year of having school from home, Steinberg said. So whether or not they are trick-or-treating, there's still reason to let them dress up as their favorite characters. So um, you can still do the costume thing, of course. Uh, they're just recommending the CDC specifically is saying that house-to-house -house trick-or-treating is a high risk of catching COVID-19. So they're suggesting that you don't do it. 
Uh, socially distant trick-or-treating. Last month, the Center... Okay, well, I'm just going to repeat what I just said. Last month, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued Halloween safety guidelines labeling traditional trick-or-treating as high-risk activity. As an alternative, the CDC suggests one-way trick-or-treating, which involves dropping off individually wrapped goodie bags at neighbors' and friends' houses. Interesting. If you're new to the neighborhood and you don't know anyone, <laughs> no candy for you. Um, okay, and then the last one, to shop or not to shop. Online shopping has taken over during the pandemic, and curbside pickup, which minimizes human contact, has become one of the biggest shopping trends of 2020. In preparation for Halloween, stores like Lowe's is launching drive through curbside trick-or-treating events leading up to the holiday, giving customers free candy and pumpkins. Um, and there's uh, a lot of other stores that are doing similar activities to try to um, uh, sort of bolster what could be a letdown Halloween season. So this is a big concern here in Utah because the, the Mormon organization, the religion, has stifled the idea of trick-or-treating and they've created these things called trunk-or-treats where you just go to a church parking lot, parking lot and have this big ring of trunks and kids just go around the ring because supposedly religious people are safer. Um, <laughs> and so that's what they do. Um, uh, which means door-to-door -door trick-or-treating in my specific neighborhood is down every single year from the previous year. It's getting really pathetic. Um, yeah. Now with COVID, I actually think they're not going to do the trunk-or-treat, and I think they're going to return to traditional trick-or-treating. Do you think – are you guys going to participate in trick-or-treating? So, one, I just want to say that I think that satanically speaking and personally mm -hmm. speaking – the fact that this is such a big fucking issue is amazing. <laughs> is, is great. It's fucking yeah. great, you guys. Holy shit. Unholy shit. Whatever you want to say. <laughs> Demonic the, shit. Right? Demonic shit. <laughs> the fact that people are giving this such thought are are giving so many accolades and so much, you know, brain power to, hey, how are we going to make it fun for the kids? Yeah. How are we going to let them keep dressing up as whoever the fuck they want how are we how are we going to be able to keep the spirit alive that's mm -hmm. a great win that is an incredible win so that that's that's point one um point two more personally there's 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 two things to this one my idea for my kids is you know so my wife wants to you know we're decorating the house we're doing our shit um she still wants to walk around because she's very traditional. She is very like, we're going to fucking walk around. Kids are going to have masks. They're getting their candy in the in the basket. It, it, it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, my backup plan is I've ordered five different pinatas, Ooh. like zombies. I have three zombies and two skeletons, and I'm placing them over the backyard. And they're going to be filled with candy. In addition to that, there's going to be little eggs, glow-in-the-dark eggs, full of, full of fucking candy. The kids are going to go on an egg hunt, and yeah. then they're going to go beat the shit out of some candy zombies and skeletons with a bat, and in the backyard, super safe, and they're going to have fun with it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an egg hunt and then a zombie hunt. Hell What's yeah. more cool? I want to go fucking do that. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, those skeleton right? rabbits are pooping out those eggs, candy eggs. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I'll, I'll think of a cool story. Um, so, I mean... <laughs> There, there, there's great ideas out there. Another one I had, which I don't know if I'll get to it because I'm super busy and shit, but um, they have those those full garage door, um, um, I don't know, like the big mouths and shit, right? Oh, like the right, the arc things. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So you open your garage door and you have it out. So I was thinking, like, it'd be super easy to make just like some sort of um, like tongue. It, it, you know, you decorate it like a tongue, so you have the monster mouth out there. And then when trick or treaters come up to your garage door, you stick out the the pitchfork or whatever or the tongue, and it's got some candy on it. And each oh. kid, you know, gets like a lick from the from the monster, and they get the candy. <laughs> and that way. Right? You just have, like, a little show. That sounds really dirty. Sorry. <laughs> Each kid gets a lick. We're going to lick kids this year. <laughs> oh, the COVID God, year. Satanists want to lick kids. Don't go to his house. He's going to lick you. <laughs> oh, okay. His door monster is going to lick you. Door monster. They're out licking my kids. I got licked at the garage. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I think, I think those are great ideas. Um. I've so, never, we've always been proponents of like being, doing a big grab of candy and giving it to the kids ourselves, not letting the kids stick their grimy little fingers in there because kids are filthy. I mean, I've had them, yeah. I've had kids and they are completely filthy. I got sick off of each of my kids all the time because they they're filthy the <laughs> they're dirty. Um, yeah. So I just, we always give like massive handfuls to the kids. Because, again, we don't get as many trick-or-treaters, so we have more candy. But also, you know, I don't want to touch my shit. So we're going to continue doing that. Um, our daughter is probably going to go trick-or-treating with her friends. And so I don't – We, I, I, it sucks being a dad with kids that are too old to go out with you. Because part of what I loved was crawling the streets with my kids, going door-to-door. -door. I loved that. And yep. it was a little bit safe, so if there was a douchebag at the door, you could be like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know, you, you were That's there right. just in case. They're not coming in to light your candle, brother. Yeah, yeah. Don't lick my candle. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, we're, we're still going to try. Um, I had a friend reach out. He's like, are you guys still trick-or-treating this year? I was like, yes, yes, yes. It's fucking Halloween. I don't care what day it's on. I don't care what culture is trying to change. Like, this is how I've done it since I was a kid doing it. So I'm going to keep this tradition alive. And if only one family comes, that's good enough. That is good enough. I've, I've got to keep this going because I love it. I just love it. And you can do it socially. Uh, uh, not socially, but you can do it safely. Just... You know, use gloves and drop it in their bag so you're not touching them. They're not touching you. Everyone's yeah. happy. So, I, I, I mean, Halloween is already a very naturally... Stop <laughs> chucking at him. <laughs> Hold up your bucket! Stay six feet away! <laughs> well, I mean, Halloween is already a very naturally socially distanced, um, you know, kind of holiday where you know you, you sit with your own group you only go with friends and family you know you're walking around you know um it it's i don't think it's particularly difficult to be able to you know continue celebrating the holiday i actually had another idea where it was like well you know what how about i take some you know cool colored duct tape and make a ring and i tape some fucking candy to it and we have, like, a hedgerow out front our house. Um, and, like, take the candy to the bush. And it's like, you know, I put a sign on the side of the house that's like, you know, pick your own candy. Oh, right? that's fun. Something like that. Right? Super simple. Then then people are just like, oh, okay, cool. I pick my candy. I put it in my bucket. Boom, I'm good. Right? Yeah, that's a little Wizard of Oz. I like that. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of shit you can do if you want to celebrate it. If you don't, if it's too much effort, that's fine, too. Whatever. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm keeping it alive. Fuck everyone. I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. we are still well, gonna do this. I was I was invited to a holiday or a, a Halloween party mm-hmm. at my gym. And, you know, one of the guys pulled me aside and he's like, hey, you know, we're only inviting a few people, but you're pretty fucking weird, Milton. So, <laughs> And it gets pretty weird at the house. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this guy a Satanist? Are we going to, like, do a ritual? <laughs> is, this, is this wife going to be the altar? Because she's yeah. fucking smoking. <laughs> you're going to walk in and you're, he's going to hand you that sensor and say, get in the circle. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I know what to do. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> get out of my way. Damn it. Let me get in there. Got to hail some Satan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i wanted to talk about this because you never know how other people are going to react to it and again you bring up some really great ideas uh for people to try to adapt what they traditionally do um in case the community around you doesn't want to do it and i think they're great ideas so i think that's a good place to to close down that part of the conversation and we're already over are you okay to sit tight for a little bit more yeah absolutely right, Yep. cool let's do a little creature feature Science Theater 3000. Yeah! Yeah! So good. Oh, we should do that. We should totally so do that. that. <laughs> Watch an entire fucking movie and just, like, riff on it and have some just bullshit banter. Uh, yeah. I, I, that sounds fucking wonderful to me. Alright, so I'm gonna throw up a couple of images here. Um, that's not the one I wanted to show. Damn it. Let me try to pause that and see if I can switch through them. Pause, you fucker. <laughs> there we go. Nope. There. Okay. I want to talk about David Attenborough's life on our planet. So David Attenborough uh, has lived his entire life creating nature documentaries or documentaries around you know nature or animals or, or just uh, cultures and their impacts on our planet. Um, what I I was first introduced to him through. Um, planet earth series that bbc did which is amazing um they're just basically documentaries uh, about nature and and existence and that's what i'm interested in so i watch them and i love them this is his brand new one um and so i want to i want to read the little intro that they provide as sort of the about and then just give you hopefully some reasons to watch it if you haven't seen it already it just came out on netflix Uh, you can also check out attenboroughfilm.com But celebrated British naturalist Sir David Attenborough has a broadcasting career spanning over six decades. He's visited every continent on the globe, exploring the wild places of our planet and bringing the wonders of the living world to audiences worldwide through groundbreaking natural history series. His work includes Life on Earth, Planet Earth, and more recently, the Netflix original documentary series, Our Planet. During his lifetime, Sir David Attenborough has seen firsthand the monumental scale of environmental changes caused by human actions. Now, for the first time, he reflects on the devastating changes he's witnessed and reveals how together we can address the biggest challenges facing life on our planet. Produced by Silverback Films and WWF David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet shares Sir David Attenborough's greatest story yet, his witness statement for the natural world and vision of the future. He tells us that, quote, we need to stop being a part of nature and start being part of it. And I thought when he said that, 
it, it was brilliant because what we've yeah. done as a species is try in every possible way to separate ourselves. We confine ourselves to live in cement boxes. We drive enclosed vehicles using and burning natural gas to get from cement box to cement box. Never once staring at an open sky because our cities are too bright and it blocks out the natural light of the stars or the reflected light of planets. It's... As a species, we've completely shut ourselves off from the natural world, and he is inviting us to get back into it and be a part of it. Uh, he says, as a first generation, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up, uh, as provided uh, sort of a pamphlet, uh, this was a little closing statement that I thought was really nice that they uh, put out there. Our planet's wildlife has plummeted from 68% since 1970 within a single lifetime, and the last decade was the hottest on record. We've cleared half of the world's rainforests. We've overfished our seas to critical levels and half of the fertile land on earth is now farmland. The challenges we face now will only worsen with inaction. As the first generation with a clear understanding of our impact, we must work to restore nature now to protect our planet and ourselves. This film shows the scale of the challenges that we are facing and the role that everyone here can play in creating the solutions we know we need. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler here, but um, there. So this starts when he started, uh, when he was born and he started becoming interested in nature and stuff. 1937, the world population was 2.3 billion. The carbon in the atmosphere was 280. Um, I can't read the metrics at this. My eyes are just too bad. I need glasses. Uh, and the remaining wilderness was 66% of the globe. Um, now today, the world population is 7.8 billion. Carbon in the atmosphere is 415 uh, metrics. Uh, the remaining wilderness is 35. So we have half of the wilderness. Um, we are more than three times the population and we have injected twice the amount or more of um, particles of carbon in the atmosphere that would have happened without our influence. We have stifled and poisoned our planet with our behaviors. And whether you like nature or you like other animals or not is irrelevant because they are necessary for us to continue to survive, period. We have to maintain the Earth's ecosystem at tolerable levels, and we are on that cusp. And what he does is provide this beautiful picture of his experience and what he's witnessed throughout his life at the different points in his life with little slides like this and just uh, self-narration. And then he provides like the what ifs. If we do nothing, mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen. And it's terrible. And then he provides answers. He gives solutions that we can follow. And nothing, none of it's new. We all know what we need sure. to do in order to provide a healthy environment a healthy planet so that selfishly we can continue to exist why wouldn't we want to do that um mm -hmm. but it's done in such a beautiful way and the imagery and cinematography is top notch as all of his programs have always been it's absolutely worth a watch if you have not yet seen it i highly recommend it do you like those type of nature shows films i um it's, it's kind of funny no no i hate nature <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Satanist. Fuck nature. <laughs> Fuck nature. <laughs> no, no. I um, 
when I need to zen, like when I've had a hard day at work or like, you know, if the kids are in trouble, but, you know, they did something nice, so I want to reward them. Like, we watch nature shows, right? Like, and, and, and Attenberg is a fucking prime example. Like, he's a great narrator. Yeah. He's a great proponent. Um, he provides... He, I look at him in the same way as I do a musician who I'm like, wow, you know, you really bring it home. I really identify with you, right? Like you, you watch the pictures, you hear his words, you know, he's, he's just describing nature. He's just describing the world as it is outside of our fucking, you know, concrete jungle and away from, you know, our homes and all this, all this shit, you know, he gets back to the basics, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it's very beautiful in a lot of ways. So you look at it and I don't, he is one of the few people I, I'm paraphrasing, you know, trust. I trust that he doesn't have so much of an agenda as a satanic perspective of, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what I have seen through the ages, through the decades of my, of my publicity, of my reporting, of my, you know, pictures and my videos and, you know, um, my conversations with people. Here's what I've seen and here's what we're seeing now. And here's what we can potentially do about it, right? He's providing the facts. Yeah. It's it, There's not so much of an agenda around it as just a bald-faced, here's reality. Yeah. And, and, and when you look at it, you know, there's I, I've read a lot of things on this around, you know, oh, well, you know, there was a huge, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, there, you know, one example that somebody gave on this YouTube video was, you know, oh, well, there was a huge bison population and bison farts accounted for, like, you know, a huge amount of methane, which promote, you know, which promoted you know, like global warming and blah, 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 blah. But then you look at it and you go, well, okay, but then we have, you know, huge substance farming where we have a huge amount of cows and, you know, we, we, we breed animals just to kill them for our food, which of course produces methane, which produces CO2, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I'm looking at it right now, sorry, I totally pulled this up, but, you know, Global Monitoring Laboratory, Earth System Resource Laboratories. So when when you look at it and you say, hey, in the past, what what were the CO2 levels? So, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, which is where most people kind of cut it off, right, where they say, hey, you know, before we had coal and, you know, different emissions calculations for, you know, our technology. What was it like? Well, before the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century, global average CO2 was about 280 ppms. During the last 800,000 years, CO2 fluctuated between about 180 during the Ice Ages and 280 ppm during the interglacial warm period. So when you would naturally see warm periods happen and you go, oh, well, there's global warming. Well, it's climate change. Climate change happens. Absolutely. But... Today's rate of increase is more than 100 times faster than the increase that occurred during when the last ice age ended. So when the last ice age ended and there was 180 ppm, there's an exponential increase in how fast it happens. And of course that has an effect. Now, on on the converse of that, I would say, are we important enough to think that if we don't do something about it, we're going to fuck up the planet? No. I, th- I think it'll become incredibly uncomfortable for us, and, you know, populations will die out, different regions and areas will, you know, they'll change. But but by and large, you know, it's kind of like 
the matrix right which is a great quote you know you know the human human condition is a virus agent smith said right, right. Yeah. for all you youngsters who haven't seen the matrix where the fuck have you been living yeah. but they'll check it uh, out the new one's coming out so they'll check it out is there really yeah they're doing a fourth holy shit yeah the whole team's coming so, back okay i hope it's good <laughs> we'll see we'll yeah. see yeah no, I think you bring up a really good point because the truth is, is that the world will survive us. We're not going to save the planet. We're just trying to maintain the levels of conditions that we can thrive in. And the truth is, is that even if we don't do anything and our natural environment goes worse and worse and worse and species die out and our oceans uh, die out, um, we will still find a way of surviving because as we said at the very beginning of this, humans are malleable. We find ways to exist. It's whether or not the quality of that existence is worth it. Right now, we are having increased uh, cases of asthma and allergies in our children again, exponentially, that has not happened before because of the toxins that we're allowing in our earth, air, and food. Now, we're causing these health problems that we're experiencing, and we're not covering them when they occur. So, you know, we're leaving it up to the individual to care for that burden. But it. Well, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to change and to make a decision to, instead of burning fossil fuels, instead of uh, tearing or cutting down all of the forests, mm -hmm. instead of uh, scraping our seabeds for food, we find a way to sustainably live in our bubble, which is the planet. And, and we can do that because there have been human populations that have done it up until recently. You know, tribes, indigenous tribes in, in various parts of our world live sustainably in their own environments until we come and tell them to do differently. So but, but is that something we're able to do as a culture and as a global environment to go back? So, you know, see, and I don't we, see it as going back. I, I, I think we can we can adjust our technologies and we can adjust our uh, ingenuity into ways that don't don't turn back the technological clock, but mm -hmm. allow us to move forward. Because again, so, there's unlimited geothermal, there's unlimited water, sure. there's unlimited air, and there's unlimited sunlight that we can use for power. As, as a roadmap, I absolutely agree with you. As, as, as something that we should look at from a technological and a scientific standpoint and say, hey, you know, in the next 50 years, right? But my issue with a lot of this comes from the people who were fucking insane and say, we should stop all, you know, we should stop burning all coal. We should stop all hydroelectric plants, which produce some sort of pollutants, right? That's insane. I don't hear any sustainable and non-impactful solution from the people who are saying that when they say that. If it's a, if it's a long-term roadmap where we say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z over the next, you know, 20, 30 years, and that's going to propel us forward. Absolutely, that's how technology happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I think people are too caught up in the dichotomy of, we need to do something now, and, well, I mean, to, to I think, your point, we really should have started doing something, to, you know, 10, 15 years ago to get us on that roadmap. And I yeah. think, by and large, we, we have with, you know, you know, um, electrical energy, you know, solar energy, you know, wind, but those things are not able to produce the amount of energy that we need. So we need to start looking at other things. Mm -hmm. 
Is it doable? Absolutely. Will we do it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, it, we are We are sort of at that precipice of mm -hmm. are we yeah. going to go in the direction of Blade Runner? <laughs> you know? Like we are That's so... a great fucking way to put it, yeah. We're no, 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 so no, no, close absolutely. to that sort of dystopian type technological future yeah. of... And, you know, just like you said, The Matrix, you know, where we sort of scarred our planet... And when we yeah. used up every natural resource, um, because we can do that doesn't mean we should. If we've already taken the fossil fuels out, well, we might as well fucking use them because we already took them out. But we should start shifting our focus in more sustainable ways. And that it's, it's easy to look at that as a global scale. But I think it, it comes down to personal choices that we make on a regular basis as well. Uh, choices as to what am I going to have for dinner? Am I going to have steak? Um, or uh, fast food, or am I going to maybe just fucking have a salad or a baked potato or something, you know? So <clears throat> if we can try to make choices that curb the over, uh, uh, um, the overabundant use of natural resources in our daily lives, doesn't mean you have to stop it just one or two times a week then that actually makes an impact over a large scale of people. So, you know, we can make small choices that have larger impacts without dramatically changing our lifestyles. It's just that we have to accept that, that one, it's important, not because we want to save mankind or brotherly love, again, because it's a <laughs> self-serving thing. I want to have a world that I can exist in without, like, poisoning myself. And, and and leave to your children. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I I'm a little more. I don't. I don't know. I think individually those choices are important. I think at a fundamental level those changes don't actually happen until the people who drive our economy, who drive our you know actual personal welfare, so like the corporations, the governments. Until they find a way to make it not only profitable but palatable, mm -hmm. those things won't change. So we've had, you know, we've had vegans, we've had, you know, people who just ride their fucking bicycle all day and they don't drive a car. Yeah. What have they really changed? Economically, not much. Yeah. Not not really much. I mean, they they really haven't promoted change in that way. I think that it comes down to the innovators to the entrepreneurs, to people who are willing to risk it all, so to speak. Yeah. Um, or they've built the resources so that they can. Like there are Absolutely. companies that are doing it. Like Amazon is moving to a, a, a net zero um, uh, energy impact or fossil fuel impact with their businesses. They have a roadmap to do that. So that's Absolutely. important because yep. it's, that's a huge fucking company. Apple is doing the same thing, which is really important because that's a huge company. Um, Tesla is doing an amazing job with their solar research, their battery research that they're doing that is going to completely change the way that we, uh, in the future, the way that we use batteries, the way that we create batteries and the waste that is created from creating the batteries. Um, yep. if that, but still, like, that's the, that's the roadmap that yeah. I think it is, is realistic and pragmatic versus, the shock and awe value of, hey, let's do the right thing. Jump on the the bandwagon of, oh, well, you know, we're going to shut everything down and we're going to make it great and we're going to fix things now. You don't fix things now. The problem wasn't created in a day, right? right? The problem was created over decades. Yeah, no, of, that's true. It, right? Yeah. So, you know, moving forward towards the future, 
that's where you can get everybody on board. Oh, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to fuck up my life right now? I can look forward to the next 10 years of maybe buying a different car, of doing things a certain way. Oh, okay, great. I can get on board with that. It's much more palatable to be like, oh, well, you know what? I Oh, wait a minute. I can eat my cream of wheat with maple syrup and butter the next week, but then you know, the next week I'm going to have to cut it back on the maple syrup. That's much more palatable than, oh, well, you know what? You're gonna have to fucking grab a head of lettuce and eat it. Yeah, eat this seaweed. Doing that tomorrow? Fuck happy. you! I got the I got CrossFit tomorrow, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I need the calories, right? I, uh, I yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Um, and I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely a, a fair uh, a thought process. I mean, everything has to be in stages. It can't just be an immediate switch that we flip. If it was, then we would have already done it. Um, well, we but all the make the changes. Is, yeah, people yeah. don't change like that. Yeah, and cultures certainly don't change overnight. I mean, the, the it you know yeah. it, it takes a long time for Rome to fall after it you know took over the world, but it did eventually fall. We are no better. We have literally taken over the entire world as human species. We have stifled every other species. We're at a point where we see that our actions are now harming ourselves, and we do have to make the choice: Do we want to start cutting our fingers off? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we only have 10 of them. Let's slow down. So anyway, it's, it's, it was a, a valuable watch for me. Um, I've already been doing stuff that I, I feel, you know, I can help uh, the problem as it were, that amorphous idea of the problem. Um, and so I didn't really take anything away from it as action items on an individual level, but it is certainly something that socially and politically I'm going to strive to push the idea that others take those same steps too. Um, I, I think it's a valuable way of looking at the true impact of a species through the eyes of one human through the course of his life, because it is dramatic in his life, the changes that he witnessed. Um, because in, in my life, I haven't seen that dramatic change because I haven't been traveling to jungles across the country for years on, you know, recurring. Um, but he has. And so he's witnessed those changes. And that's he's so what's fucking lucky. Oh, my God, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, that's gotta be it for the show. We're an hour and a half. <laughs> Thank you everyone for sitting through me ranting and raving for an hour and a half. Uh, including you, Milton. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for thank sitting you through all my so shit, much. dude. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing your ideas. Um, I, I think you. you made it a better show and, uh, it's really great catching up with you. It's been too long. Absolutely. It's been good, Adam. Oh yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, if you want to support the show, of course, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the video that you're watching, and then sign up to the email list. And that's it. Have a fantastic week. And until, uh, well, until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs>